0: Good to see you. If you guys are new here, my name is Brian, one of the pastors, and uh, I've been out for the past several weeks, taking a few Sundays off. Uh, so I'm happy today to finally be back, um, at least jumping back into it. I feel a little bit rusty, but um, it is what it is. You guys get what you get. Get what you pay for. Um, so happy you guys are here. What we're going to do this morning, we're jump into just kind of a lesson this morning. So as uh, Cameron had mentioned that this is what we call family service, which family service just basically means this is very different than what we typically do on Sunday mornings. Typically on Sunday mornings, our kids will be in the back and they get a lesson and they, we typically service is going to be around an hour and a half or so, something like that. And uh, we come in here, we teach, I crack open the Bible and we read through it and study it and all that. So uh, Our family services, we kind of redesigned a little bit so they're not as intense and as robust and as long. So that means that um, you get, for the most part, kind of a serenade as opposed to a sermon. So um, we don't apologize for that because we feel it's important every once in a while to have our kids together to uh, join with us as how we worship, for them to see, to watch what we do, to hear what God has to say. Obviously, we realize they have a short uh, attention span, so therefore, it's one of the reasons why we keep things a little bit short. So if, in other words, what I'm trying to say is that if you're here expecting nice, long exposition of a particular passage, you're not going to get that here today. So sorry to let you down to be a little bit more of kind of just a, a lesson that we will get into. Um, but what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about a little bit uh, the idea of New Year's. We're entering into a new year. Um, we realize New Year is kind of one of those moments in our years in which we sort of anticipate looking forward what is ahead. Oftentimes we kind of uh, look at what has gone behind us, especially if you had sort of a bad year. Um, there's a lot of expectation or anticipation getting rid of the old year, kind of, uh, cutting yourself off from that, and then moving forward into a brand new year. If you had a great year uh, and you're moving into the next year, there's always kind of that expectation of wondering, like, is it going to be this great or is my luck going to run out? Um, and there's always kind of that tendency. We also sort of had another, another thing we oftentimes do on New Year occasions is we uh, make uh, New Year's resolutions, right? And which is kind of our attempt to say if you didn't have a great year last year and maybe part of the reason was that uh, the problem was you, Um, maybe you didn't do things well or you uh, did things that weren't good for your family or good for your own personal health, we make these things called resolutions, which basically is an attempt to say um, I didn't do so well since Thanksgiving through uh, Christmas eating. So from January on, I'm going to eat better or maybe you didn't work out at all or you didn't Do anything that kind of benefited your health. So from January on, you're like, I'm going to make some uh, uh, resolutions, so I'm going to do better. I'm going to work out more. So maybe you bought a pair of shoes and you're going to start running or doing something that's going to sort of benefit your health or benefit the way that you eat better and all that type of stuff. The point of the matter is, is that New Year's is sort of a time in which we kind of mark out how we want things to be different. Interesting thing is in the Bible, Jesus actually celebrated New Year uh, as well. Um, but the new year that Jesus celebrated is unique. In fact, uh, because we celebrate New Year, I thought it'd be kind of good and interesting, a uh, little bit of a, a, a study to kind of understand a little bit about the type of new year that Jesus himself would have celebrated. Now, because Jesus was a Jew, that meant that he celebrated a different type of new year than we typically do. In fact, Jews, I don't know if you knew this or not, I kind of discovered this as I was doing my little homework, is that Jews actually have at least two new years. Did you guys know that? Two new years, maybe some, a couple of articles I read actually said up to four new years, which isn't radically different than the way we are as Americans. So in other words, we have a new year, like we're going to be jumping into this week, which celebrates the beginning of our calendar year, meaning we start our calendar cycle over. But we also have another new year uh, that happens in the middle of the year, and it happens around Septemberish. What do we call that? The new school year, right? And it's a new school year. And the, the Jews kind of have the same type of thing. The first new year that they oftentimes celebrate is called uh, Tishri. It's a, or it's in the month of Tishri, which is kind of equivalent to our uh, September on our calendar. And the, that basically celebrated the, 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 the creation when God created the heavens and the earth. That's kind of what they would celebrate. But the other type of year in which they would celebrate or the type of uh, uh, new year in which it would celebrate was called the Passover. And that, was, that took place in the month of the Jewish calendar called Nisan, which kind of is equivalent to our April. And so what was so important about this particular month was that they celebrated this as basically a way of saying this was the month in which God worked in our lives and redeemed us, when God saved us, when God did something decisive on our behalf to rescue us, to make us his own people. So what I want to do is if you're a kid, if you're a big kid, we have these little little things that I printed out. So uh, you can write down. We have little notes. We have some nice little funny games at the back of it that you can also play with as well. Um, But if you'd like to kind of follow along, I'll have some slides available that we'll kind of hopefully you guys can fill out. Uh, So if you're a big kid, um, you can either fill them out if you want or you can just follow along if you want. Um, uh, Is our slides working? Slides are working. There we go. Good job. Okay, so what I want to do is kind of keep things concise and also also keep things kind of moving along quickly. I want to take a look at the first thing. So the most important meal that Jesus celebrated on this particular new year was called the Passover. Now, think about it this way. We oftentimes associate with most of our holidays really good meals. So this is kind of a little bit of audience participation. So out of curiosity, how many of you guys obviously had a really, really good, memorable meal over this past, you know, week? Raise your hand. A really good meal. So in other words, you would associate your Christmas with a really good meal that you had, right? Raise your hand. Okay. So I, I want to kind of find out, especially from the kids. So this is kind of adults, you just got to let kids, you know, have their opportunity here. So I'm going to need some help from the little kids and I'm going to walk out to you. But I want to know what type of meal did you have over Christmas that was like really, really good. So raise your hand if you're a kid and you want to answer this question. I'm going to come out to you. Raise your hand. Okay. You got you to meet me a little bit halfway here. What, I'll start with you. What did you eat for Christmas that was really awesome? Um, I had mashed potatoes and chicken. Mm, mashed potatoes and chicken. That's really good. What about you? Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Is that it? That's all you had Is mashed potatoes? Shrimp and scallops. Dude, you're awesome. Fondue. What's fondue for the rest of us? What is that? Oil. Oil. And cheese, huh? Oh man. Wow, that sounds amazing. Great. All right. Uh, Anybody else like to share with us what type of good meal you had over Christmas? You can be an adult too, whoever. You guys are leaving me hanging here. Someone's got to raise their hand. I'm just meandering here. All right, you got to come meet me. All right. What did you eat for dinner that was awesome? Cinnamon rolls. Is that what you had? That's a great Christmas meal. Anybody else? All right. Someone's raising their hand over here. So we're trying to figure out what you guys ate for Christmas. That was awesome. A memorable meal. you raising your hand? What did you eat for Christmas? French toast. French toast. French toast? Nice. I thought she said burnt toast. <laughs> Do you burn your toast, Mike? No? Okay. All right. I'll take one more good meal. Anybody? It can be an adult. What'd you guys eat? What'd you eat? We have lamb. Oh, lamb. I love lamb. All right. Okay. So lamb, I'll, that's a great segue. <laughs> On Passover, actually that they, that Jesus celebrated a meal with his disciples to celebrate the new year. And ironically, the meal that Jesus ate, and I'll pay you later for this, but the meal that Jesus ate was actually lamb. They ate lamb, and it was symbolic. And the reason why oftentimes uh, Jewish holidays were associated with really good meals is because oftentimes when you want to do something very special, when you have a very special occasion, which you want to celebrate something, what do you do? You have a great meal. You have a really good meal, whether it be, you know, lamb, or barbecue chicken, or cinnamon rolls, or whatever it is. But you oftentimes associate a really unique holiday with a really good meal. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So the meal that Jesus had, the most important meal that Jesus had with his disciples, is actually called the Passover. So later, this would become identified as what we typically know as the Lord's Supper. Okay, the next slide. What I want to do now is we'll just kind of jump into a couple examples of this. So the Passover meal actually celebrated what we call redemption. Now, redemption's a big word, and I realize for some of you, you may have never heard this word or may not be super familiar with it, but the reality is, is that's a word that we actually use quite often in our culture. Um, here's some examples of it. Pulled some, uh, just Google searches, and these are a bunch of videos that I found with the word redemption in it. So, uh, Iron Chef, have redemption, of course, 24. Uh, but the word redeem basically means to gain or regain possession of something for a payment. Um, Another word in which we use that, another way in which we see that word "redeem" uh, appear, is actually found on my iTunes account. So if you, if anybody had or had been given like an iPad or an iPod Touch or whatever it is for Christmas, you probably may have also got this little gift card that says iTunes. And if you did, that means you would go to iTunes and on the iTunes account you would look for the little section that says redeem. And in that redeem, rather than paying money, you actually type in a code. And that code actually now. Uh, gives you the option or gives you the opportunity of downloading music. In other words, it's a way in which you are buying something. So the celebration of the Passover that Jesus celebrated at the first of the year of Nisan, to remember what their year was all about, was this great meal called the Passover, in which they ate uh, a Passover lamb. And so this celebrated what was called redemption, that God redeemed them, God purchased for himself. God bought his people, brought his people. Where did God buy his people from? Well, they were slaves. They had been taken away into captivity. And God rescued them from the enemy, from their oppression, and brought them unto himself because God loved them. And so Passover, in a lot of ways, was sort of a meal to celebrate what God was doing in their life. The reason why I think this is important as we kind of move into this new year is because in the same way that the Passover meal celebrated this redemptive work of God, it also reminded the people of Israel who they really were. So as we move into the brand new year as well, I think it's important for us to identify and associate the works of God in our lives so that as we move forward into this brand new year, we don't find ourselves just simply wandering around without any real meaning or purpose in our lives. The idea of celebrating the Passover meal was a regular yearly reminder that the people of Israel actually belonged to God because God purchased them. And that makes them special. It makes them unique. It makes them uh, have a purpose for their lives. So in summary, what I want to finish up is basically looking at the reality that Passover meal or this Passover meal, we'll take a look at the next slide, that this Passover meal basically represents three things. One, the Passover meal, pointed to God's involvement in their past. In their past. And it pointed to the rescue. If you guys are familiar with the story, you know the people of Israel were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were slaves to a brutal taskmaster. His name was Pharaoh. And what Pharaoh did is he made them work a lot. He never gave them a day off. Pharaoh was basically enslaving them to building all sorts of cities and buildings that they didn't want to build, and Pharaoh constantly was oppressing them. And they cried out to God, and God rescued them. And so we, what we see is that God rescued them from Pharaoh so that they can now go free. It was God's free, gracious, loving act on their behalf. It's, in fact, in a lot of ways, some people would argue, and when, one of the first things that God did when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them to a region called Sinai. And at Sinai, God gave them the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments that God gave the people of Israel was to observe a Sabbath day. Sabbath day was a day of rest. Now, why would God give the people of Israel a day of rest? was because under the management of Pharaoh, guess what? They never had rest. Pharaoh has no rest to give, but God does because God is a good God. He loves his people. He wants to give them rest. I want you to think about that. The type of God... That Jesus represented the type of God that Jesus is, the type of God that is given to us to respond to, is a God that intends for us to find our rest in Him. So the first thing that we see is that the Passover meal pointed to God's involvement in the rescue. What this does in terms of looking into the past is it causes them to see that what God had given to them was rescue instead of regret. Now think about it this way. One of the things that we oftentimes do is when we find ourselves not really connected to the story of God, we have a tendency to look at our past lives with a lot of regret, right? So let's say, for example, you're a dad, and you weren't a really good dad, let's say. Maybe you made bad choices or bad decisions in your life, and you weren't really invested in the lives of your kids, or you weren't really a good husband invested in the life of your wife. In other words, you made choices that were not really good, that didn't lead to flourishing. So you have a tendency to look back in your life with regret. You wish that you didn't do certain things. You wish that you would have done certain things, but you didn't. And if you don't get free from that trap of regret, you're stuck there. Bible describes that as being slavery. You are a slave to past regrets. But what Jesus does is he reminds us that at one point in the time of people, in the people of Israel's history, God came into their life and rescued them. That the past represents God's involvement, God's coming in, God's rescuing his beloved people to become his own. The second thing that we see in this slide is that the Passover meal pointed to God's involvement in their, uh, next slide, future, I think is what it is, their future hope. That it pointed to the future hope. And the passage I'll read in just a moment, Jesus talks about that this Passover meal that they're going to celebrate and partake of, that they will also be reminded of the fact that one of these days in the kingdom that Jesus will one day finally, completely, fully set up, there will be a meal. And all sorts of people will be invited to this meal. People that we never even really knew. People that we didn't even think or expect that should actually be at that table will actually be at that table because God's grace is big. So it points forward to this future hope. Now, why is that significant? Because the other thing that we oftentimes do When we disconnect our lives from the story of God, we live with past regrets, but that's not all we do. We live with constant anxieties of what the future holds. Anybody found themselves in that place where you're afraid about what's tomorrow going to bring? You're afraid about what's going to happen tomorrow. You're afraid about health issues that you might be suffering today. You're afraid about what will take place In the near future, with regard to our government, with regard to war, with regard to, you know, catastrophes upon this planet, you're afraid about what will happen tomorrow. So we live with all these anxieties. But what Jesus does by eating this meal to remind them of the story of the Passover is to cause them to realize that we have a God that is so great that rescues his people, but also promises a hope of a future Well, God will make all the wrongs right. This is the great hope. That he will do what he promised, he said that he will do. And the reason why we know that he will do this is because he has proven his track record in the past to be flawless. So what that does is it gives us joy instead of, in the place of, anxieties. The last slide that we'll take a look at, or the last slide be in this little section here, is number three, the Passover meal pointed to God's involvement in their present thriving. In other words, those people that took this meal, that reminded themselves of the story that they were brought into, it caused them to realize that they have an identity, that God has called them to be a certain type of people, to follow him, to love him, to know him, which means that God intends for the thriving in the present, And what this does is it gives us an identity and a mission in the place of or instead of idleness. Let me give it to you as best way I can to think of it this way. When you forget who you are, you find yourselves full of regrets of the past. You find yourself full of anxieties of the future. And you find yourself as well in the present just simply idle, not doing anything. Maybe stressed, maybe worried, maybe freaking out. You're in bondage. In other words, you are not flourishing the way that Jesus, God, created you to flourish. When the story of the Passover is really a story that invites all of God's creation in to say, we have a God that is so great, so powerful, so mighty, so good, that he invites us in so that we would flourish along with him. And the way that we do this is by knowing who we are and knowing who God is. And so it gives us an identity as opposed to trying to figure out who we are. See, most of us, we suffer from loss of identity. We don't really know who we are. I was reminded of this recently in that great theological movie called The Toy Story where Andy, right, forgot who he was, and then he needed to look at the bottom of his shoe to remind himself, oh, yeah, I belong to somebody. Or not Andy, whatever that, I don't even know that. Woody, there we go. Woody belongs to Andy. So he looks at the bottom of his shoes and sees his na- the name Andy carved in there. He actually belongs to somebody. When he forgot that, he found himself trying to figure out who he was. Ends up getting lost. And I would suggest you and I are just like Woody. We are just like that. We find ourselves wandering through life, not being the people God's called us to be, when we forget who we are and whose we are. So in short, what I would finish with or conclude with is this larger picture or larger notion that what God is doing, what I want to suggest to you, is he's creating for himself a redeemed people, but also a redemptive people. What I mean by that is that if you are here today and you are trusting in this God, not perfectly trusting in this God, not completely meaning that you have absolute perfect faith, confidence. You never waver, never shake. What well, I would suggest is that even if you have a grain of faith. As small as a mustard seed. Meaning you want to at least trust this God. What Jesus says is that you belong to him. His story becomes your story. Your past becomes brought into his story. Your life becomes his life. In other words, for you to live the way Paul the Apostle put it, is Christ. To die, way he was going on to say, dying is one of the things that we oftentimes fear most. Dying is one of the things that we oftentimes try to avoid at all costs. What Paul says is he basically takes the most fearful thing that we dread and says even dying actually becomes great benefit to us. Because to live is Christ, to die is actually gain. It brings us into the very presence of our treasure. So the point of the matter is, is that God created us. God redeemed us, Uh, redeemed people, meaning this is the story that Jesus is reminding us. He's redeemed us, but he's also transformed us into a redeeming people, meaning we don't just simply sit around idle, waiting for heaven. We become a redemptive people. We become people that search out, find people that are broken, people that are in this world, that are lost, that have lost their way, people that have forgotten who they are. We get the great joy to announce to them, to communicate to them, to share to them that actually in this universe, which in a lot of ways is scary because there's a lot of things that are in opposition to us that we are afraid of, that in this universe is a God who actually we bear his image. We have, in other words, the name of God carved, written on the bottom of our foot, just like Woody had, written on the bottom of his foot, the name of his owner. We're created, we're born in the image of God. And the quest of the gospel is to have that message announced to us, for us to believe it. And if you trust that, you are brought into the storyline so that you don't have to live with past regrets. You don't have to live with future anxieties. You don't have to live in the present with idleness. But what you can have is a sense of redemption, that God rescued you. You can have a sense of great hope and anticipation and expectation that God is doing something and moving us somewhere, but also in the present that God is moving amongst us, calling us to mission. Not just being redeemed people, but being redemptive people to bring about the story, to communicate this great message to people. And in conclusion, what we see, the way that Jesus did all of this is simply through a meal called the Passover. And I want to conclude by reading a passage, and then what we will finish with is an object lesson. In fact, the same object lesson that Jesus himself used. So, if you'd like, turn your Bibles to the book of Mark, or you can just take a look at the screen and read it up here. Mark chapter 14, verse 16, I'll read it. It says this. The disciples set out and they prepared the Passover. Then he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Next slide. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, given it to them, and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank it. And then he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day in which I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And what Jesus does in this meal is to basically say, the story that I'm bringing you into, the Passover, actually was a story that was actually pointing to even a greater story. The greater story that the Passover was pointing to. Because the Passover rescued God's people from the great oppressive enemy. But what Jesus is saying is, is he's retooling, rewiring the story. He's saying, I, like in the Passover, I too will rescue from a great oppressive enemy. I will do this by my own might, by my own strength. And those who trust me, those who partake of me, those who find themselves engaging in this meal, the supper, will find themselves engaged in this unbelievable story of redemption. You will be a redeemed people, And then you will be transformed to become a redemptive people. All from this story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have the ushers come forward. And they're going to basically hand out to you guys communion. The way that we're going to do this is typically what we do as a church. During worship, we'll have communion off in the back. And then you can go back there. Uh, You can pick it up. Um, What they're going to do is they're going to hand you the little plate. Take the plate as it's being passed. Grab the little cracker. And there will be a little cup uh, that will either be on the plate or will be being passed along on the back side of the plate. Uh, just take your little cracker, dip it in there really quick. So you don't want to get too soggy. And then uh, pass that on uh, to the ushers that will be at the end of the aisle. So travel, come on up. Then they're going to go ahead and start handing those out right now. Let me just also say this as well, because we do obviously have people that are like uh, gluten intolerant. Is that, is that correct? Is that the right term? And we do actually do, believe it or not, we have uh, gluten-free communion. And... Uh, I don't think they're going to be handing that one out. Maybe they are. Uh, if that's you, you need that, um, you can just go ahead and grab it on the back. Um, but go ahead and don't, don't drink the cup. That's the most important thing. Don't drink the cup. Like, like we, we do believe in germs here. And uh, we don't disrespect you for that. We love you. But um, just dip it and then pass it on. And then hold on to it. Because what we'll do is we'll partake of the communion together. So go ahead, ushers. You guys can go ahead and start handing those out. And uh, what they're going to do is, uh, as they're handing them out, I'm going to take the bread in the cup that I have right here. Okay, what I want you to do is you guys are taking the bread and taking the cup. I want you to look up at me real quick, okay? So kids, I want you guys to also pay attention as well. So right now in my hand, I I have the bread. So what you guys are getting right now are the pieces of crackers that were basically taken from this bread. So here's a trick question. Let's say, for example, all of us are going to eat the bread that I have here in my hand. All of us. And what needs to be understood is that if you're going to eat this bread, you're not allowed to put your mouth on this bread, all right, because we don't want it to spread germs. So if all of us are going to somehow get a piece of this bread, not, not the little crackers, but this bread that I have in my hands right now, what needs to happen in order for you to be able to get a piece of this bread without you actually taking a bite off of this? What, what needs to happen? It needs to be broken, right? So let's say, for example, eating this bread is what gives us life, right? It's not going to give us life because there's no calories in this and, you know, there's no sustenance whatsoever. It's just symbolic. But let's say if we did not eat this bread, we would starve to death and die. So for us to live, we would have to eat this bread to live. So in other words, let me put it this way. In order for us to all eat the bread, and for all of us to be able to eat, for all of us to be able to live, this bread would have to be broken. So let me put it another way. Unless this bread is broken, we die. But if this bread is broken, and it dies, guess who lives? We do. And what Jesus did is he took the bread... And he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and this was his way of saying, I will be broken, and I will die, so that you who are broken and you who are dying can be put back to right and live. This is the story of the gospel. This is the story of the Passover. This is the story of Jesus. This is the story that God invites us to come into in order to live. So I'm going to break the bread to show you that this is how this works. And we will partake together. Sound good? So, I'll dip mine. Trav's going to lead us in a song. What I want you guys to do as you hold your bread in your hand right now, and just hold on to it. Hopefully it's not too soggy and just hold on to it right now and as soon as Trav's done singing we will partake together as a family because what this meal symbolizes is that at the table that Jesus invites us to all are welcomed sinner and saint every person's welcome doesn't matter what race you are doesn't matter how messed up your life was or is All are called, all are welcome. The prerequisite, the requirement is you gotta have the piece of bread. And what Jesus says, the way that we receive the piece of bread, in other words, himself, is by faith. We believe, we trust that this bread, not this real bread, but the bread of Jesus has the power to save us, has the power to give us life, has the power to help us flourish as his people, so we'll partake together in just a moment. Let's read our hearts. Let's sing the songs. If you guys don't know the song, just look at the lyrics on the screen and just make it your prayer. We'll sing and we'll partake together.